Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers, and I'll be bringing another message today out of the book of Revelation. And we have come a long way in this book of Revelation, and we're actually in the last judgment that will be seen in this before we go to the new heaven and the new earth, which will be in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. We're going back to that text again today, for like we did last week, so because I want you to see a great reality that is here given to us. We return uh, to the most shocking or sobering and serious scene in all the Bible because it is what the Bible is calling the great white throne judgment and because it is man's last day in God's court. It is a day in which all unforgiving sinners who have ever lived in the history of the world will be sent to their eternal destiny. I don't think there's a greater event than this one. So let me take you to the context, which is Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11. I just want to read a few verses, just like I did last time, and uh, we'll begin covering some more information here. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in verse 11, the Word of God reads, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And I'm going to stop right there because I'm, I'm not going to get past that point in this context. But the context goes for two more verses, and that will close out the chapter. But as we have begun to take a look at this section, we've seen that this is a just judgment because God is just. This is God's final judgment, and I want to emphasize tonight very strongly that this is a just judgment. I know that uh, it's human nature to think that uh, something might be contrary to this, that it uh, might not be fair or might not be the same for all people, but you can rest assured it is a just judgment, uh, not because of us, but because God is just. Just like last week, we brought out a few verses, like Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. It says, Just and right is He. Job 37 says, The Almighty, we cannot find Him out. He is exalted in power, and He will not do violence to justice. God does not do violence to justice. He is just. Therefore, it says in, in that passage in Job, Men fear Him. He will do what is just. And guilty men fear Him because they know they're getting a just judgment. Now, God is the last, is, is the just judge, and all his verdicts are true. We've already covered a lot of this, and I'm not going to go over all that again, but just, to re, just by way of reminder that his verdicts are righteous. Therefore, men have good reason to be afraid to face him with the record of their sin. Because, you see, we already stand condemned. We, we know we stand in our sins if we have not trusted Christ. And so uh, it's very understandably uh, seen that men will fear this judgment. Men have good reason to be afraid to stand before him. And last week we brought out some verses, especially in Revelation chapter 6, 
that uh, point to that. To say justice flows from the nature of God is to quote exactly, I think, the Word of God. Men may act justly because they're paid to, or for other different reasons, or because they're made to act or just for fear of loss of reputation or job or income. But God cannot be bribed. He's not forced. God is not just because society expects justice. He's not just because uh, it will improve his reputation. He is just because it is his nature to be just. So when we look at this kind of a picture, when we look at this kind of a scene as John sees it, we are seeing the very nature of God displayed before us. He is just because it is his nature to be just. Uh, one writer puts, if the whole world cried for injustice, if men call for injustice, God would still be just. And in fact, that is exactly the case. A whole world of sinners calls for injustice. They don't want the just due because of their sin. They don't want the reward that they have earned. They don't want to pay for their iniquity. And so you can see why they would say that. So we've looked at all this already. We've looked at uh, some verses like in Hosea uh, where it talks about the justice of God. James Montgomery Boyce says this. He says, man makes a choice and justice acts. And uh, we can see evidence of that in Genesis all the way back to the very beginning of the Word of God. Uh, the judge of the earth will do right. The ultimate and final justice is the right and true holy and righteous expression of God against sinners who will not repent and receive the grace of forgiveness. Uh, that is a, a, the, the picture of justice. That is exactly what we're looking at here. So as I said last week, it is a, an act of justice that all of these are standing before this great white throne. It is, a, again, it's, a, it's called a, a, a resurrection to everlasting disgrace or the, the one that we go to is the resurrection to everlasting uh, life. And so Daniel sees this, and we're going to get into a little bit more of that in, in just a few minutes. But these are just overall points that I just want to bring out to you. Uh, we've seen already the picture that is painted for us here. John writes it very descriptively. Uh, and, and gives it very clearly here by telling us that the, the scene is a great white throne in him who sat upon it uh, from whose presence heaven and earth fled away and no place was found in them. Uh, the judge is God in the person of Jesus Christ. We made the, uh, the statement, of course, that God and Christ are one and that God is certainly the judge of all the earth, but he has committed the judgment to Christ. And so the judge is God in the form of Jesus Christ. And so this takes place, as we have already said, in the absence of earth and heaven as we know it, because they have been uncreated, as we have already expressed. This is a great white throne, and it's a judgment that uh, we need to be able to take a look at and to understand. Uh, it, is, it is one that is painted for us here, but I also want to give you another uh, point of reference here as a general observation of the passage. I want you to look at verse 13. It says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Now the term uh, that the Bible uses to describe the place of the dead uh, are usually familiar to us. We, we most of all have heard 
uh, of the, the term Sheol. Uh, that is uh, an Old Testament term. The New Testament uh, term for that is Hades. And so we see that here. And so when it says Hades, we're talking about the same place. Hades or Sheol. It is the place where the dead go. The ungodly dead go. The unforgiven sinners go. All the ungodly dead of all human history have gone into a place called Sheol, Old Testament, or Hades, New Testament. It is where their eternal souls have been since they died. So, in other words, right now today, as you are hearing me speak, people who went there way back in the, in, in the first part of Genesis, way back in uh, pre-Moses, uh, pre, uh, actually there in the, uh, the Great Flood, all of them are still there as a temporary judgment. It is, it is eternally, uh, I mean, it is the eternal souls have been since they have died, so they're still there. People who died in the time of Adam are still there. People who died today, yesterday, are in the same place, and they're in the eternal, uh, they're in their eternal souls. Their bodies have not been raised. Uh, the bodies of the ungodly are all over this globe in various stages of disarray, dis dissolution, decay, uh, dis uh, destruction. Some of them utterly gone from existence. Their bones have even disintegrated into dust. So the bodies of the ungodly remain somehow in the dirt or in the bottom of the sea or wherever, but their souls are in Hades. Hades and Sheol apparently are a temporary place. Uh, they are not the eternal hell, which we're going to see in this particular section, which they are going to be cast into, but they are in the temporary place. And I think a side-by-side -side picture of this as we go through this would be, uh, if you have a chance to uh, kind of reference this story, which is the story of Lazarus and the rich man, uh, in which Jesus tells this, and it's found in Luke chapter 16, verses 9 through 31. It's good just to refresh your memory of some of the characteristics between the two eternal destinies of these two, the rich man and Lazarus. Lazarus went to the Abraham's bosom, but the rich man, you read some of the things that come from his mouth, and what he can remember, the fact that he can speak, the fact that he thinks and can reason, is probably pretty revealing, at least it is to me. And so I think it's good to sometimes read that and you can get a sense, uh, maybe just in a very small part, of where these people are and what is actually in their minds or in their thoughts as they are in that temporary judgment awaiting a time of this, uh, this horrible scene, which is called the Great White Throne. So the scene then is really incredible. As the universe dissolves Hades and the grave dissolves with it. All the bodies then come out because Hades is emptied uh, out of uh, emptied of all its spirits. The bodies are emptied out of the universe as it is uncreated. And actual resurrected bodies are created for the ungodly dead. That's why it's called a resurrection unto damnation. Or as Daniel called it, a resurrection unto contempt. It is a resurrection and the difference between Hades of the suffering now and the eternal hell is that the Hades of suffering now is the suffering of souls, whereas the suffering of hell will be the suffering of the souls in a resurrected body. 
You know, we can say that because that is biblically correct, but boy, I don't understand it. I I just don't understand it. They will be body and eternal uh, soul rather than eternal body fitted for eternal hell. And so the scene gives way to uh, these people being called up from the dead, or as one writer puts it, a summons for all the ungodly of human history to stand before this judge. And that's really the picture that we see here. This happens to be, by the way, a look at the, the last day, as one another writer puts it, last day in God's court. There is a summons. The people are given. They're called up, like verse 13 of Revelation 20 says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. Well, why did they give them up? Well, because they've been uncreated, and there's no more uh, sea. There's no more death in Hades. It's given up the bodies and the souls and the spirits that were in them. They have been called out. This has to happen, by the way. The sea has to give up its dead because chapter 21, verse 1, it says there's no longer any sea. So we can see these, begin to piece these things together. The sea is uncreated, and we'll get more into that in chapter 21. And out of that sea, before it goes out of existence, come forth all of the resurrected bodies of the ungodly. Wow, and and I think the sea is mentioned here just to let us know that the ones we would assume to be the most difficult to raise are those that have been lost in the sea. They might have been chewed into little pieces by a great white shark or whatever the the instance could be. We might tend to think that way, but it is uh, really quite amazing to even think about this. God doesn't need to find all of the pieces of a body to put it back together. Uh, and you know, I sometimes I, I, I look at our futile attempts to understand all that's going to happen between the, the the dead bodies and the spirits and the resurrection. But we can't understand that. Uh, God is going to recreate, re He's going to resurrect to a, a new body for the believers as well as the unbelievers. For the believers, it will be for eternal life, a body suited for heaven. For the unbelievers, it will be a body suited for the contempt of the eternal flames and damnation that it will have to face. So, all who ever drowned, all the bodies, all drifted out to sea and sunk, all who have ever fell overboard, all who have ever died in the universal flood, all went down in, in any kind of a, a shipwreck, whether it be the Titanic or any, all that have ever perished in the sea will be brought out. Doesn't have to have their body. God will bring them out. And death in Hades or death in the grave simply referring to every other place where the dead are. Every grave including Hades or Sheol itself where the spirits are are going to yield up the dead. Up they come, body and soul, resurrected body and the soul. The sea and the grave in Hades are seen as uh, the places where all of these bodies are. Is then in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. And that's just another look at this. At the end of the thousand years, which is where we are, we're looking at this final judgment. They're raised to judgment. Hades, again, is where the unrighteous souls suffer until they are raised to be standing at this very presence of the great white throne in front of the judge that is there 
to judge them. So, it's like a criminal being kept in jail until the final sentencing and off to the penitentiary. Hades is the New Testament word for Sheol and the grave. Hades appears 10 times in the New Testament. Sheol, 65 times in the Old. It is a place of souls in which they are punished while they wait their sentencing and their final experiences that last forever in that place called hell. So, that is it brings us up to date to where we are. Now I want to look at, uh, we've already looked at the picture uh, that John gives for us. He paints for us, and one writer calls it the scene. And the scene is at the great white throne. And then number two, last week we looked at the people, or those that have been called out, or as we saw in, in 20, verse 13, the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. So we've seen the people. Now today I want to look at the problem. Uh, the problem, or as we can see here real quick, they're judged according to something. They're not judged in ways that we might think they would be judged, but they're judged according to a standard. They're judged according to a rule or something else. So I want to take a look at that. Uh, it's a very important thing to understand. What is the standard by which all of these that are the dead from the very beginning of time all the way through even today through the tribulation period and through the the uh, kingdom itself what is the standard well it's got to be an absolute standard as we'll see in verse 12 and verse 13 we'll see it again in verse 15 first of all verse 12 in the verse says they're judged according to their deeds so that's what is being judged the very deeds or the works of human beings. Uh, you know, our thoughts, you say, well, what about our thoughts? Well, our thoughts are, are usually played out or manifested by the way we act. Uh, doesn't Proverbs say, as a man thinketh in his heart, so he already is, is the way that actually translates, or so already he is. And so we see that our thoughts are manifested as deeds of our body. Uh, the end of the verse that were judged according to their deeds, verse 13, the end of the verse they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. And so we see it is a judgment of deeds. The great white throne judgment is a judgment of deeds. And then in verse 15 is added, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So you really have two things going on here, but we're going to try to separate these some and let us uh, take a, 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 a hopefully a better look at this. But let's start out, first of all, with according to their deeds. That is what is being judged. And so there's got to be a universal or a, an eternal judgment or a standard by which all of these people are being judged, both in verse 12 and verse 13. God has kept perfect and comprehensive records of every person's Life. Now think about that. We're not talking about believers here. We're talking about unbelievers here. Now for believers, we're told uh, in another place in God's Word, in fact you can, you can think back with me if you want to, but in the Revelation, Revelation, in Romans, my mind thinks Revelation for everything, in Romans chapter 8, uh, we can see that our, our deeds or our, our life 
uh, is, 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 is listed here. We know he searches and knows the hearts of the mind uh, of every single believer. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So we know that God is working in us to transform us to use the deeds that are, are, are here in, in our own lives to work together to good if we love the Lord and we are called according to his purpose. But these people are not. These people are unbelievers. They are unbelievers standing before God, and the word of God says here they're going to be judged according to their deeds. That is to say that God is going to act justly right off the absolute and perfect record of everything that every person has ever done in all the books. And I love the way James Montgomery Boyce puts it. Omniscience has recorded it all. Omniscience has recorded it all. In other words, the all-knowing God has recorded it. God knows all things and He has recorded it. And so this gets to be rather interesting, isn't it, that uh, God works through us as believers to uh, work these deeds and, and thoughts and actions that we have together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to His purpose. But in the life of unbelievers, He's only recording them. He's not working in them. He's allowing them the freedom to choose. That's right. The freedom to make a choice of whatever sin they want to participate in. Yeah, they have a free will. They have a free will to choose whatever sin they want to do. And this part of God's Word says that it has been recorded. Everything has been recorded. They were judged from the things that were written in the books according to their deeds. God has kept perfect, complete, flawless, comprehensive records of every person's thoughts, every person's word, every person's actions, everything done their entire life. And sinners are going to be judged on the basis of their deeds, measured against God's perfect standard. You know, that is frightening in itself. Because you have to ask, well, if all are going to be judged by that standard, what is the standard? What's the standard? If I can know the standard in the future, then will that standard help me now? Well, I can give it to you. It's, and I never forget uh, many years ago when I, I, I first started teaching on the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, I came across this, and, and God revealed it to me, that the standard is this perfection be ye perfect Matthew 5:48 says 1 Peter 1:15 and 16 says be ye holy even as your father in heaven is holy or perfect or Galatians 3 where is the apostle Paul sets again the perfect standard cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of law to perform them well if you in other words God's standard by which all of the recorded deeds are going to be stacked up against and compared to is God's perfect standard, which is the law of God. Now let me put it to you in everyday simple English. If you've ever broken one law, one time, ever in your life, 
people will have the record of their works held up against that standard. So if you've ever broken one law, guess what? That is against you, and it will be brought to the attention compared to God's standard, and you are proven guilty with just one. You know, when I first became a Christian, right shortly after, we started having Bible studies at my house. My brother and I, and uh, we ended up being, uh, for the first couple of weeks, there was only two of us there, <laughs> me and my brother. And, uh, and then, but then God just began to bless it. And, and I can say this uh, humbly, it was at our place, but I did not teach it. My brother did not teach it. I, we didn't know what to do. We, we weren't teachers. We have just been saved. We were studying like crazy, but we didn't know anything about teaching. So what we did is we just said whoever came, whoever wanted to volunteer to bring the next week's message. Now, I know that's dangerous, but we didn't know any better. Whoever wants to bring next week's message volunteered, and they brought the message. Well, at a certain point after it began to grow, I, I said, well, I'll do it. I'll do it next week. And so I didn't know what to do. And so I, I began to just interview people. I just talked to people. Everywhere I went, I talked to people. I had a job where I was, uh, had, was uh, well, it doesn't matter what I was, but it was nothing but lost people around me. And so I began to ask people, are you a Christian? I, because I wanted to just find out. And I thought, well, maybe this will give me some insight into teaching whatever I need to teach. And every single person I asked that week, and I think I recorded uh, just an untold number of people. I, it was over, uh, way over 100 or so people. Every single one of them said they were a Christian. <laughs> well, I knew they probably weren't all Christians, but you know, I didn't know any better. But as I began to go through some of the, the little few, I wrote down just a couple of questions I had but one, how did you become a Christian? The number one answer is, I've always been a Christian. And I thought, my goodness, I thought you had to become a Christian. You can, you're not born a Christian, but yet everybody thinks you have to be, or everybody thought in the survey several years ago that many of them thought they were born that way, or they were told they go to church, or they gave me all kinds of answers. I was baptized. I go to a Baptist church or I go to this church. That was their reason for believing they were a Christian. Well, that that get, that sparked a lot in me. So I based my whole message on that particular survey. And it was an amazing thing to me to realize that people don't have any idea of the fact of their deeds are being recorded in heaven or that they're going to be accountable one day for those deeds. All sinners are going to be judged on the basis of their deeds measured up against God's perfect standard. What is God's standard? Perfection. Be ye perfect. In other words, if you've broken any law, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what Romans 3 is summing up. Everybody comes short. Now, I know that all the people I interviewed didn't know that. I wasn't sure of all that, but it gave me the basis upon which to speak, and I loved it. So the whole world is going to be judged according to their deeds. Is that true? This is the whole world of unbelievers here. The ungodly are judged, and we know, again, this is the ungodly because believers will not be judged and sent to hell according to their deeds 
Because our sins have been covered by Christ. When we stand before Christ at the rapture, or when we die, die and go to heaven, we stand in uh, with the we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. We will be rewarded on the basis of service rendered toward God, but that is for rewards, not for condemnation. The ungodly, because they have not turned to Christ, have left themselves to be judged by their own works. In other words, their sins are going to be held accountable to them. They are responsible for their sins. And sin has to be paid for. Whether they kept the law perfectly, whether they were perfect as God or holy as God or not, they will be judged on their thoughts. And you know, I know the world doesn't understand this. We can't expect them to understand that. Uh, I have talked to people even in the last few weeks where they have said this to me, well, I think I'm good enough. Are you good enough? What is the basis? You see, we look at heaven as a standard that we think we keep. But God looks at us coming into heaven as the standard we must be kept by. In other words, we are looking at God's standard. But the general everyday Joe Blow on the street out there looks at his own standard. (coughs) And it usually goes something like this. I've been pretty good. I've had one person tell me here recently, I have never cheated anyone in all my life. I can honestly say I've been fair with every single person. Well, is that the standard by which we are to determine whether or not we're going to heaven? I don't think so. I think this presents a whole different case. Uh, We can see in the scriptures, Luke 8, verse 17, For nothing is hidden that shall not become evident, nor anything secret that shall not be known and come to light. Matthew 12, 37, For by your works you shall be justified. Matthew 16, 27, The Son of Man is going to come in the glory of His Father and His angels and recompense every man according to His works. God is going to judge every thought. And it doesn't matter. Even if you have not cheated anyone in your whole life, but yet you, you, you did another injustice, you broke the law in another way. Perhaps you lied. Perhaps you did something else. You see, the law is, we can take just, just the Ten Commandments. And you say, well, I've kept most of them. Well, it doesn't say if you keep them all. And this is not a... a, a a standard by which you you know you get the best out of so many and you if you get six out of ten you can go to heaven no you got to get ten out of ten you got to keep them all that's why when we look at christ we're looking at the perfect standard because he kept all the commandments that's why we can stand in his righteousness no man can claim ignorance either because christ is the light that lights every man that comes into the world The knowledge of God, the knowledge of truth about God, the knowledge of right and wrong, the knowledge of Christ, in some way or some primitive form, all of that is in the heart of every man who, if he follows that knowledge, will come to the truth. So they'll be judged according to their deeds, according to Romans chapter 1. I tell you, the standard is there. These people are all judged. You can already tell. If the standard is perfection... And they're going to have to stand before perfection and judged by perfection, then they're in trouble. And I guarantee you, the minute they look into the eyes of the one on the throne 
And they stand there. They know they're in trouble. They know they're going to be condemned. Notice it doesn't have them talking here. It doesn't say what they say. It says, I saw the dead, great, small, standing before the throne. This is what verse 12 says. Uh, the somebodies and the not the, the somebodies and uh, or, or, excuse me, I'm trying to think of a quote and I can't think of it. The somebodies and the nobodies. How about that? All the dead standing, great and small, standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books. In other words, the time to speak is over. It's what has been written is what is the judge part there. I'll tell you, Daniel saw the same exact thing. He saw the same scene. And I'm not going to have time to get into that, but Daniel chapter 7, verse 10, Daniel sees this. And uh, we're going to have to, to pause again. This, this question, are you going to heaven, uh, is going to have to be answered by you individually. And you're going to have to look at this. You're going to have to face this one day. You may not want to face it now. You may have somebody in your family, a loved one, who's going to have to face it. They may not want to look at it now. But they're going to have to look at it one day. So I am going to have to close for now. I thank you for joining me. And once again, this has been another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. Uh, and again, this is William Rogers bringing the message out of the book of Revelation as we're working our way from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 22. And next week we'll pick it up again in chapter 20. Thank you for joining me today.